Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I am Jennifer White, and I am here with Ellen Trackman, my Hello, sister. Hello, welcome back. I say, sadly, I did not get to see you for the holidays for the first time in a lot I, of years. So I would say I don't remember up. what you look like, but thanks to Zoom, I, I at least remember what say. your head looks like. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably good. The COVID-19 has not treated me well. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> um, but since we haven't seen each other, what what excitement did you have over the holidays? Well, you also know my excitement thanks to Zoom because I, um, <clears throat> I have now turned every meeting into a um, meet my puppy meeting where I like to show him off because he um, we got a puppy. We've never had a dog before since i was a kid with you Um, right he's adorable and of course like all the challenging things that people say about puppies but um still worth it but i mean i do love that you asked me advice over how many photos per day is it inappropriate to take of your dog and i'm like there there is no inappropriate (laughs) number (laughs) uh at least i've gone from sending you like sleeping kid pictures to sleeping dog pictures like look how cute he is sleeping I think I also got a bathtub picture, right, oh of God. the dog. He was so cool. <laughs> he looked like a rat. Yes. Oh, so yes, puppies are exciting. So yay for yay for holiday so yay puppies. for positive things, for a new year, for optimism. New changes, right? But speaking of positive new things, we got a chance to speak to someone working with a brand new nonprofit helping those forming families through surrogacy. Um, so let's share that interview. Welcome, Anna Buxton, to the podcast. Anna, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Let's start off by um, people might notice you have a bit of an accent for us Americans. (laughs) Where are you? I am sitting in London. (laughs) Nice. Um, And you've had an incredible journey to building your family and are in an amazing project you're working on now. So we thought we would start by talking about what you've been through that brought you to this. Do you want to start by kind of explaining where you were in life when, when all of this began? Sure. Um, so my husband and I got married in, um, in December of 2011. I was 32. He was 34. Uh, we both wanted to try for a family straight away. So we set to it. Um, And three months later, we were pregnant and obviously thrilled. And we had seven blissful weeks where we took for granted how easy it was to get pregnant. Never really assumed anything would go wrong. Um, And then an early scan revealed at about eight weeks that I had had a missed miscarriage. And that was the start of a very long story of infertility. the surgeries I had to remove the mis- miscarriage and then a subsequent one after that um, led to severe scarring of my womb, something called Asherman syndrome, which essentially is when the lining that obviously you need to, to um, carry a pregnancy doesn't exist, that the trauma from the surgery has removed um, any lining. So over uh, and you you kind of sc- scanned over that really quickly, but um, from what I I read earlier of your story, it was like four surgeries in two months or something. Really, yeah. So I had so I had this mis- miscarriage, and and I opted for surgical management, so where they surgically remove the pregnancy, 
it just seemed like I had miscarried. I wanted to get on and move on. So we had the surgery. And unfortunately, that surgery wasn't completed properly. So they then repeated it. And then when that was completed, they said, listen, you're fine. Go get pregnant. And the very next month, we were pregnant again. Um, And history repeated itself in exactly the same way. I miscarried again at the same time. Um, In fact, both pregnancies were twin pregnancies. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and again, wow. the surgery wasn't completed. And you're not—I mean, this is no fertility drugs. This is just no. This was just both this times was, with twins. Yeah. Um, wow. And then, so yeah, so in three months, just over three months, we'd had I'd had two twin pregnancies, four DNCs, um, which is obviously a lot, a lot for a body to handle, and yeah. They, I was still being told, listen, you, it's fine. You've only had two miscarriages here in the UK. You have to have three mis, mis, miscarriages to kind of qualify those, for investigation. Those four surgeries would count for something, uh, right? Yeah, right. You up but, there. Um, but I, we, I, before we got pregnant again, I just couldn't face going through that. So we started seeing some specialists. And before they said anything about why I had miscarried, they said, no one should have four surgeries in this time. This this right? is going to be a problem. I'm not um, a doctor, but that's, that seems yeah, right to it's, me. It's not. You know, right? It wasn't a surprise. Although I'd never heard of Asherman, so when we were started when we started talking about it, it 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 took me by surprise. Now I think, well, why was it a surprise? But so we um, they did a hysteroscopy, so where they look inside the womb with a camera and, and just saw very severe scarring. Um, so I had six operations over 16 months to try and remove the scarring. Oh, wow. wow. And, and is that just like time, every couple months you're having? A yeah, so surgery? every, so you have a surgery and then you, and then they, then you have to go on a hormone replacement therapy to try and get the scarring to come back. And then you have to um, have to wait to see what happens. So about every four months, we would I'd have this operation and every time the scarring would come back. Um, and it was at about 16, after about the six, about 16 months later, my surgeon said, I will not operate anymore. This isn't, there's no point and it's not even wow. ethical to keep doing this and he very and were, um were you thinking that you would still keep going that you would have I another think, one I think I would have had he said there was a chance I think the the weird thing about infertility and I always say this to people is that you the more the more miscarriages you have the more negative pregnancy tests the more disappointment the more you think it, you're never going to get pregnant, you know, you, it's never going to happen for you. Yet you do find this inner strength to just keep going and not give it, not give up. And and so I, I did. I probably would have done it. And I think that's why the doctor was so brutal. And he said to me point blank, "You will never carry a pregnancy. There is no chance. You have to give up." Wow. Um, and that was brutal to hear, but I, I guess I had to hear it. Yeah, wow. Um, so for us, the next step was, was surrogacy. We we had viable, well, I had eggs, it had sperm. We thought we could make viable embryos, although I miscarried. So surrogacy seemed like 
the next step for us. So we we started looking into into all the options. Um, and certainly our preference would have been to done it at home in the UK. But at that time, the waiting list was so long. We were being told kind of 18 months to match with a surrogate and then another year to get to know each other. And if you've oh, been wow. through, so a really long process. And if you've been through, you know, years of trying anyway, that just seems too, too much. And I think the uncertainty for me really scared me. I wasn't sure if I could cope with that. Um, and can I ask how, how that works in the UK? Because here there's all these different matching programs that help, you know, find someone. Are there, is it through the national health system or how, how is that matching in that one year being organized? So um, back when, when we were doing this, um, you there were basically, uh, there are a couple of charities and organizations that match intended parents with surrogates. The, the difference in the UK versus the US is that a third party cannot profit from, from making that match. So organizations are run as non-for-profits or charities um, and there, and therefore there's, there's less structure and process around it just because there isn't that sort of commercial element to it. And because surrogates in the UK can't be compensated over and above pregnancy expenses, which is obviously different in the US, there just aren't as many surrogates. So you, it just means you have a lot fewer potential surrogates, um, operating in a less sort of structured environment so that leads to to extended wait times um, and ultimately that's what drives a lot of UK intended parents abroad whether that's the US or or other places mm-hmm. um, I'd never heard the one-year wait part especially yeah. the, or the one-year building a relationship part that's very interesting yeah um, so so we and when we were looking our first choice would have been the US but at the time the costs were just prohibitively expensive for us. We just couldn't stretch to it. Um, and the only other place that had the history and the experts in surrogacy for us was in India. Um, but we'd obviously heard you know, some terrible reports coming out of India about how women were treated and and the, the whole process of it. And Ed and I always said, however much we wanted a child, a child, that was never going to come at the expense of another woman's well-being. So we went out to India. We visited three cities, 10 different clinics, met with lawyers, oh, wow. organizations. Wow. I mean, we we did our due diligence. Yeah. And we um we definitely found some clinics that we were not comfortable with and we didn't feel were doing surrogacy in a way that we wanted, but we found an amazing place and a charity and a doctor who were, who ran this incredible program for, for women. And it was all around building up a woman's um, place in society and family and teaching them skills. So we, we were really comfortable with, with, um, with, with, with the place we found. So we embarked upon our first surrogacy journey um, in India. And did you meet the gestational carrier? Did you have a relationship? So I know that's often very different in countries like India than the United States. 
So we, so once we had decided to go forward, we were, we started, we created our embryos here um, in the UK. And then, I mean, sorry, we didn't create our embryos. We started our IVF here in the UK. And then when we were ready for retrieval, we flew to India. My eggs were retrieved in India and the embryos were um, created there. And it was that point that we met our gestational carrier. So we had been matched with someone, but we all agreed that we wanted to meet before any transfer happened. Um, so we did. We we met with a translator. Shapala doesn't speak English. Um, so it was you know, it was a very different experience to the one that we subsequently had. Um, but we did get to 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 speak and you know speak about why we were doing surrogacy. Um, speak to her about her children and her family situation. Um, and how did you feel with those concerns initially going to India about exploitation of women that she was being empowered or how did how did you how did you feel speaking with her? I I was very comfortable that she had the support of her family um that she understood the medical process that she had that she understood the IVF process, um, that all the legal documentation had been translated into Hindi. So she, I was very comfortable that she was doing this because she wanted to and that she understood the process. Essentially, I believed that she was, um, she was certainly, you know, she was medically and emotionally and illegally informed. Um, I, so, and I think that is the problem with a lot of place, lot of places now that, that women who are surrogates just aren't informed of of what they're doing and their rights. So, um, so we were comfortable. And during the pregnancy, was there much communication then, or or limited? So that was, I mean, we had a lot of communication with the clinic, um, and we would get. You know, we didn't have direct communication with Shapala. We got um, videos of her speaking and translated, um, but it wasn't you know, the relationship. We didn't build a relationship with her. We, the relationship essentially was with the clinic. When we went was, out, to, was that due to language, or was that due to just the way it was structured? Um, I think it was. Uh, primarily language um but also there's definitely a cultural element as well um without a doubt when we went out so we tra- traveled out to delhi at when when we were 38 weeks pregnant the pregnancy had been totally um with no complications so we felt comfortable going out at 38 weeks um and we got to then spend the next week attending um, the Yushapal had a few scans at that point, so I got to go to the scans with her and spend some time with her, which was really nice. Number one for me just to to be at a scan and see that and see her tummy and see Isla and Utro, but also just to just to see each other and for her to see our excitement um, and just to sort of know that we were there. So it was you. Know, it wasn't a relationship, but I, but I think you know, we both got to sort of see why we were doing this, which was which was lovely. Yeah, and then delivery smooth. 
in, in delivery was sm- smooth. We weren't in the room again, culturally it wouldn't have been appropriate for us to be in the room. So, um, Isla was, was, um, arrived into this world and we were next door and she, and she was brought through and placed in our arms and she was, um, healthy and you know, looked after amazingly well. So from that point of view, it was, it was great. Um, we then did have to live in Delhi for six months after she was born. Oh, six months. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I will say we so, have an, another episode fairly recently where we interviewed um, a couple where they were stuck in India for 18 months where the law wow. changed during yeah. their pregnancy. And I was thinking, oh, that's, you know, obviously 18 months is very long to be away from your home country. But yeah. Or before that, even for six months, that's still very long. It is you know, and it, and I, I slightly look back with rose tinted glasses now because I think about this incredible experience. And we were, it was just me, Ed, and Isla, and we were sort of in this apartment in the city, didn't know anyone. So it was this sort of amazing time to bond with this child that we had spent so long wanting for. Having said that, to have your first child in in a city especially like Delhi that is so big and so dirty and and so alien to to what we were used to was had its challenges um I was did you you get out much or it was six months kind of confined to this apartment we we would you know I I took with me like my back my massive um you know my massive pram and we and I would take her for walks (laughs) and everyone would look at me very strangely because there weren't many yeah. bugaboos in Delhi. Um, so we did and we did as much as we can. And we we went to, we got out of the city and went to the country for a bit. So we did what we could, but it was still, um, it was definitely a challenging time. I, be, I was so worried about um, Isla and the water, obviously. So for six months, I, I boiled... Um, mineral water and bathed her in, in boiled mineral water so um it was everything was just such a process wow. there yeah <laughs> but we did yeah. but we did come home um so, so you Isla was born just uh, we came home just as the law was changing so oh, we were wow. relatively fortunate wow. in that yeah. yeah and were you both working how did how did that go so I was um at the time in the UK there was no in theory, I had no rights to leave, but actually the company I worked for um, gave me the same maternity leave as um, as you as I would have had had I um, carried Ida. So I was on maternity leave, which, as you know, in the UK is is up to a year. Um, so we had no worries with that. Um, and Ed just set up his work from, from Delhi. Um, and he worked from there and his company were really understanding as well. So we had a lot of support, um, you know, both from our friends and family, but also professionally, which made a big difference. Yeah. Imagine. Um, so you decided you were not finished with your family. We were yeah. go again. We and did. India is no longer a choice, right? Because right. the law in, has changed. Exactly. So we actually started looking again in the UK. Um, but actually at that point, 
the charities that helped match people with intended with intended parents with surrogates were not were only helping people who didn't have children because there were so few surrogates so we didn't even qualify um and so we we looked at our options and um with a little bit of help from some friends and family we we decided actually we would we would come to the US so we um did a lot of research into clinics and agencies um and we found we were recommended a clinic in San Diego um who we really liked and we came out to San Diego and visited them and created some embryos and then found a cl- an agency in San Diego um near our clinic and that's where we started our sibling journey yeah and how did that go and how did it compare it to your was, first journey I mean so you could I always think you couldn't get two more different cities in the world to San Diego to <laughs> Delhi <laughs> I mean they are just poles apart. So, um, so, so that made it very different. We, the, on the, our first journey out to San Diego, we um, went to create embryos. We actually were able to meet Holly and her husband and her family who, who became our surrogate. Um, and I remember meeting, we met for brunch at a diner one Sunday morning and we turned up um, Holly and Jason and their three children and Ed and I and Isla and it, I was so nervous and it just seemed like such a weird, surreal thing to be doing. And I just thought, we're not gonna have anything in common. What are we gonna talk about? And actually, you know, we sat down and as we started talking about things we liked, we, you know, family and food and the weather, um, you know, we we just, (laughs) we we chatted for hours. Um, And we, you know, she, Holly was, wonderful woman and really passionate about surrogacy um as was her husband who was very supportive and we just got on really well so from that moment we all decided we wanted to move forward and we found and had holly been a surrogate before she had she had been matched with a couple before but it hadn't worked out um so she'd never been pregnant before um, so she, she had, she had had a couple of friends who had been surrogates. Um, and like many women in the U S I think it, I, I always get a little bit frustrated that people say, oh, well, but, yeah, they're paid lots of money. Um, and while women are compensated the U S in the U S most surrogates I've met are want to be surrogates because they tend to love being pregnant, tend to be very passionate about, um, about family and can't bear the idea of seeing someone else childless when they could help. Um, and that's just, that's how she felt. And she just said, if I can, why not? So we, um, so we, as I said, we had this great clinic. Um, we surrounded ourselves with really good lawyers, really good experts in surrogacy. And so from meeting Holly, um, we did our transfer with her about five months later um so it was a the process the process was relatively smooth um and how many embryos did you transfer we transferred two um we definitely didn't we definitely weren't setting out for twins (laughs) 
Um, I feel like it's so much more, it's rarer now to transfer to, but much yeah, more common. It, so well, yeah, even, ago, really. yeah, only because, yeah, the twins are only two and a half. It, it, you, it is rare now. And we, and it was sort of, well, you know, the, your egg, the embryos, some, one was really good quality, one wasn't so good. So let's just put two in and let's really hope that we get one. And so the pregnancy test came and, and, showed Holly was pregnant and we were thrilled and then she kept having her blood tests and as we saw the blood tests her numbers were really high um (laughs) so we both were like and then um at eight weeks when she had her first scan yeah we uh we saw two heartbeats Um, yeah and there were the twins yeah so um we were we were thrilled and you again the the pregnancy was very different because of one because of communication so with whatsapp and facetime and everything we just we you know holly and i built up a really close friendship and and a lovely bond so we communicated a lot and i was able to be a part of a lot of the um you know, parts of the pregnancy, the scans, kind of go to the appointments with her. So it was, it was lovely, and I I really cherish sort of that involvement I had in in the pregnancy with the twins. Were um, you able to be in the delivery room? So we had Holly and I had the perfect birth plan. Um, <laughs> I would be, uh, you, know, I you know, know what they say about perfect yeah. plans. <laughs> uh, words, yeah. we would be together. We had our music planned, and then the yeah, next room would be yeah. In the next room, um, Wait, and why, I, I had to ask, why, what was your song playing during the delivery? So my. Mine weirdly, what it's a it's it's called Pompeii by Bastille. It's this song that uh, I just yes. need to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I used to have the sound editor play in the background here. Yeah, so exactly. Um, and then another Snow Patrol song, just songs that I've just, I can get quite emotional and I love to amplify that. I love that you had a soundtrack. That's great. <laughs> and Holly was really open to everything. Um, so she was like, yeah, let's do it. And, and Ed and I were going to be in the next door room so that she would see me coming through with the twins. And then Jason and Holly's children would be, yes, it was all planned. And then at... 34 weeks the day I gave up work we were due to fly out to to San Diego at 35 weeks just as I left work um I got a call from the doctor saying Holly's in Holly's gone into labor we're doing a c-section in 20 minutes oh 20 minutes oh wow and I I was like that's I can't get enough I know and um and I kept thinking they call back and say no 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 we've made a mistake we've made a mistake um and about an hour later a nurse called and said, your babies have arrived, um, a boy and a girl that you knew, and they are, they were in, they were in NICU and they were both intubated. I managed to get a flight out to San Diego the following morning. So I was there just over 24 hours after they were born. It was as soon as I could get there. I must say it was the worst flight I could. I, I got on that flight not knowing, with no communication for 13 hours, thinking what, you know, thinking the worst. So I went straight from the airport 
to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, they wouldn't let me in because they said, you're not the mum. Mum's upstairs. Um, Ah. So I went to see Holly and she burst into tears and said, I'm so sorry. And how she could ever say sorry. Anyway, they, they, they got me to, to the twins. Um, and there they were, those tiny little things in their intubators. And Olive was in for two weeks. Art was in for three weeks. Um, in the end, no massive problems, but they just did have some breathing problems. The, the nurses were incredible um but it was it was not it was not the um it was not the experience that we had hoped for in it and I do say to people now you know it is a cautionary tale with twins so after three weeks I said so Olive a little girl came out first and then Art came out um three after three weeks and then we do you, decided do you ever show them the embryo pictures and say, Oh, you're you were the good embryo. No. So, <laughs> yeah. Save it for the I wedding. Like, save it for the wedding, I think, until um, when they're teenagers. Yeah. I knew exactly. from your embryo picture. One was gonna be the um we so sorry, you we, decided we was we decided to stay out in San Diego for um a few months. We'd rented a, a house on the beach. Um, and so we just had this amazing time sort of with the twins. Isla had the holiday of her lifetime because we were on the beach. Um, <laughs> and it gave us, we spent, it gave us a time. We spent a lot of time with Holly and her, her husband and their children. We, we really wanted her children to sort of see and experience us as a family so that they could really understand what you know, they could kind of get the magnitude of what Holly had done for us. Um, and, and for Isla, she sort of really, it was lovely for her to see and to appreciate how, although she'll never have that with her surrogate, that she sort of saw what it was that, that Holly did for us. So, um, so yes, yeah, so we, we spent, um, a few months, um, sort of, yeah, as our new, new family of five out in San Diego. Uh, do you keep in touch with Holly? And her we, family? Yeah, we do. We um we WhatsApp a lot. Um <laughs> recent, this year has been a lot mostly around sort of your politics and weather and, <laughs> and COVID <laughs> and everything. So <laughs> um so we um we do. We you know, again sort of it tends to be WhatsApp messages and then probably every three or four months some pictures of the twins just to see that they're they're growing and happy and that will continue um I'm sure communication will probably get a little bit less but but that's just natural I think we um yeah we're really looking forward when the children are old enough one to take Isla to India and then uh to and take the twins back to San Diego so much to my parents and Ed's parents absolute horror we named Art um Art Robert Diego Buxton and they are mortified that we've called him Diego so we said we'll have to take <laughs> have to take <laughs> him back there it's very un-British but we liked it so <laughs> I love it I love it oh, um, so so yeah yeah, that I mean wow. it's an amazing story <laughs> of your family. Um, so change changing gears a little bit. I understand you're working on a pretty big project yes. um, right now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, 
so so I took a year off work after um after the twins were born and as I was meant to be going back I used to work in financial services I suddenly thought you know what I I don't want to do that anymore I want to spend time with the children and also make use of um kind of my experience and what I've done so on a very ad hoc basis I started just helping uh, couples go through surrogacy just by word of mouth um and through that work I met Michael and Wes Johnson Ellis who are dads through UK surrogacy um they have two children uh Tulula and Duke and when they when their children were born they had you know, th- although their reason for coming to surrogacy was obviously very different to mine and our roots were very different, we all felt that we faced similar problems and that we were essentially doing it by ourselves, relatively unsupported, fell through the cracks in the system of the UK, so never really offered much counselling. Because I was in, doing it internationally, I had no, very little kind of, as much sort of say in the pregnancy because Mike and Wes are same-sex dads. They struggled in the UK with policy here. So they had, they identified a need for a much more structured and professional platform to support people. Um, And so they've been working on what is, which is actually launching tonight. Um, my surrogacy journey oh, for about right. yeah so they've been working on it for what? about three years i was just saying so it'll be tonight for when we're recording but by the yes. time this goes live it'll be out already. so know so, that yeah, we are so, recording on february 2nd 2021 yes. but the Thank episode you. will come out a few weeks later yeah um well, congratulations is there a lunch party is there i mean um, a covid safe a COVID, party? no it's it, well it's a, a press go on the website and a sort of virtual Yay. toast um but so 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 yeah, so my so my surrogacy journey uh, launches today and, and I came on board to help one with the international side of it, um, but also to really focus on uh women who have come to surrogacy through infertility struggle and recognizing the place that you often start surrogacy at is so low and so broken and full of so much anxiety that the support you need I think is often misunderstood and and that you you really need to recognize where someone is starting the process but essentially my surrogacy journey is um it will offer emotional and practical and logistical support to at sort of every stage of the parenting journey um for people who are doing surrogacy in the UK the US and Canada um it is a it's, which is a huge undertaking quite honestly because the rules are so different in all three of those places yeah, yeah. <laughs> well for us we feel that they're the three places where um you where transparency is at its greatest um you have the most sort of structured processes and regardless of of who you are you have equal rights um one of the things we recognize is that Again, you know, everyone comes to surrogacy for a different reason, but the support each individual needs or each couple needs is really different. Um, so whether you're heterosexual, same sex, same sex, solo or trans, we will tailor the support you need um, for your particular journey. 
And it is, we've gathered specialists for medical, clinical, legal, counselling, surrogate support and donor conception. Um, So we've got a vast group of people all supporting this effort. If I look back on my own journey, for example, I, we felt like a sort of pinball darting between different organisations, different sources of advice, um, conflicting advice that we you know, we definitely made mistakes. We definitely um, took longer to do things than, than we, necess- we perhaps could have done. Um, and that we just lacked a kind of structure and a process and, and support that, that was needed. Um, and I know that if the level of support and structure that my surrogacy journey is going to offer um, was around when we did our journey, it definitely would have saved ourselves time, considerable time um, and money and heartache. I think one of the aims of my surrogacy journey is to make surrogacy more normal, more um, achievable for people. So really showing there are different options in terms of sort of budget um, and also showing people that that a surrogacy journey can be enjoyed and a pregnancy can be enjoyed. And it's something to to really cherish, not just not just get through. And do you think the UK is ready for it? Because I know here in America, it's much more normal and accepted. But even still, a lot of people might not have that full acceptance. But we understand that in much of Europe, especially, that there's still this um, distaste or, you know, this or resistance to feeling it, yeah. against surrogacy. Yeah, I think um, I think there is a little bit. And a lot of that is down to people not understanding the process, not understanding why people are surrogates. Um, so I think one of the one of the things we want to do is not only educate our intended parents as to the options available to them, but also through um, through being more open about it, educate you know, the world at large about surrogacy and why women are surrogates and how the process works. Um, you know, I think I think it is is certainly getting better, um, but we do still have a have a, a way to go in in normalizing surrogacy as a as a way to to build a family. Um, but we are really happy to to be trying to lead lead that and and, and take on the the charge. And I'm curious, have you ever faced any kind of comments or discrimination when you tell people about how your family came to be? It's not so much that I have faced discrimination. I think I have, I've definitely had people ask quite offensive questions, oh. um, but but only, but only not because can, they're being can mean. You share what, can, I share, can you share what those offensive questions were? Well, I think... Um, the real so, mother, how so, does she feel? Or- so you sort of people saying, oh, well, goodness, you know, did you sort of, there's an expression here in the UK, too posh to push, as if I just couldn't be bothered. Uh, uh, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, people just hearing of celebrities having having um, yeah. surrogacy. So there's that element, I think. Um, a couple of people, and again, this isn't, 
which is so ridiculous given everything you went through all of those surgeries um, <laughs> like I would have gone through another surgery if the doctor yeah, hadn't said exactly that, right um quite a lot of people said to me uh, were surprised said when when they met Isla said oh I she doesn't look very Indian um and that oh, is wow. obviously just a complete naivety over over um, how IVF works, um, and had we had used donor eggs, we would. You know, so, so as I said, I don't think it's people necessarily being mean. It was just ignorance, and and I'm okay with that if you know if if um, if people don't understand. I think that a lot of the concerns I had were I forced upon my put upon myself um I did I felt really conspicuous when we were pregnant with Isla that sort of that I didn't have a bump I didn't like I remember going pram shopping and running away when someone looked at me a bit strangely I just couldn't face people sort of saying well what are you doing um and I you know I used to worry that people would think me less of a mother because I didn't carry her and actually now you've got, I've got my children. You, you realize that being a mum is about being there every day and getting up in the night and right. just, you know, just being that mum right. each day. But I think, um, and again, I want to help work with women and, and make them realize that you know, it really doesn't matter how, um, obviously everyone would choose to carry their child if they could, but it doesn't make you less of a mum just because you didn't, didn't carry them or didn't give birth to them. Um, so yeah well you have our highest admiration for all that you went through to achieve your beautiful family and to now be dedicating your time to giving back and helping others I think that's so so wonderful and and we appreciate you oh thank you well thank you for having me it's been it's been lovely Um, it's such a one of the things about doing this is I feel very privileged to, I keep meeting lovely, wonderful, interesting people. It's a really, it's such a nice extra bit of this. So thank you. That's our favorite part of this too. (laughs) You get to meet really fantastic, interesting people. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Anna Buxton, for sharing your story and for taking your your time and energy and dedicating it to to giving back and helping others. That's amazing. Yes, yes, it's incredible. Um, speaking of time and energy, you can dedicate. Oh, is that is that what we're doing? You could dedicate it towards giving us reviews on iTunes, <laughs> or while doing other things, right? Or to to reaching out to us. We always love to hear from people. You can give us a call at three zero three. 997-1903 or we also on our website I want to put a baby in you.com because that's it's totally a descriptive web name right um, there's a link that you can actually send us a message and you know we we try really hard to get back to people so um hopefully if you reach out to us we'll get back to you um but as always huge 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 thank you to our team to Amanda to Tyler to Chris at Work at Bird Studios who always makes us sound he does he does what he can with the material he's got right so so thank you to everybody 